Welcome to the America's Quarterly Podcast. I'm Brian Winter. Fake news has been a problem in Brazil and in many countries for years now. As the 2022 presidential election gets closer, is there any hope of stopping the tide? We are 210 million Brazilians, and we are about 40 fact-checkers in the entire country. So even if we fact-checked night and day, night and day, there was still a lot of misinformation out there, right, to affect and impact on people, so. Well, it happened again, and this time, there were consequences. Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, has reportedly been banned from YouTube for a week and had videos taken down from Facebook and Instagram. After speculating on these platforms that the COVID-19 vaccine can make you more vulnerable to AIDS. That, of course, I mean, do I really need to say this, <laughs> is false. Um, but look, it's definitely not the first time President Bolsonaro has been at the center of a fake news scandal. And our new issue of America's Quarterly, available on our website, looks at how misinformation is threatening democracies and elections all over Latin America, but with a special focus on Brazil which many observers, including some Silicon Valley executives, believe will be ground zero for the global quest to tamp down and reduce the amount of misinformation as we move into 2022. And look, this is a tough problem with no silver bullet, just lots of questions, including are governments and tech companies doing enough to stop misinformation? And how big is the threat to democracy really? Joining us to discuss these fascinating questions is my friend, Cristina Tardagila. Cristina is a fact checker and journalist who founded Brazil's first and largest fact checking agency, Agencia Lupa. Today, Cristina works as senior program director for the International Center for Journalists. Cristina, thank you so much for joining us today on the AQ podcast. Hi, Brian. It's amazing to be here. And thanks for raising this important issue. Well, Christina, I want to start on a personal note, if I may, as this is not a theoretical issue for you. Throughout the 2018 election campaign in Brazil, which is where you're from, you received a number of threats um, which led you to leave Brazil in 2019. To a lot of outsiders, this is just seems like a crazy story, right? Like fact checkers receiving these kinds of threats. But can you tell us what happened? Well, it's it's really weird, Brian, to think that, you know, something that is very common among international correspondents uh, in the middle of the war uh, is now happening to fact checkers. Uh, well, mainly what happened to me is we had a team of 15 people battling mis- and disinformation about the 2018 election, presidential election. And six of us were being uh, threatened. And you can only imagine like how hard it is on a personal level, but also as a manager. What do you do when you see your team, you know, being harassed and being exposed and being attacked? So in one certain moment, I thought I had to go public and talk about it and, you know, show the tweets and DMs and the emails that we were receiving. But... I was advised not to, because at that time, police forces, the justice in Brazil was also very polarized, either following the left or the right candidate at that time. 
So we just, you know, kept it quiet and decided to make some internal changes in our procedures. And well, some months later, I was invited by the International Fact-Checking Network to uh, become their associate director in Florida, Tampa. So yeah, I decided to leave Brazil. That's a very moving story, but I'm not sure a non-Brazilian or even a lot of people from other countries would understand why the basic act of fact-checking provoked such a torrent of threats. What was it that you were doing at the time that was so threatening in the Brazil of 2018? Well, politicians in Brazil, at least, they don't really like the truth and the facts. And that's, I mean, I say it's in Brazil, but I've I'm sure it's not in Brazil only. And what we were doing is actually flagging the false data that they were using to get people to vote for them. And that, you know, raises some anger and not only among the politicians themselves, but also among their supporters and their followers. So we suddenly realized that leftists and rightists were having the same behavior, hating fact checkers and uh, trying to silence us. And that actually meant silencing the truth because, you know, Brian, fact checkers, you know, we're not supposed to change anyone's mind. We're not supposed to say, hey, you should vote for this and you shouldn't vote for that. What we do is we only expose what databases are showing and what is considered the factual information at a certain time, right? And that made people very, very angry. They didn't want to see that. It's interesting to me that you're pointing out that this was a phenomenon that we saw in both the Brazilian left and the Brazilian right. My understanding is that the majority of the threats that you faced seem to come from the right and from supporters of Bolsonaro. Is that correct? We do not have database that clearly states that, and we did not find a way to measure like how many you know attacks we got from one side and from the other. But we know that Bolsonaro was very active in social media and on WhatsApp, and we know that he was actually elected because he was very very active and present in the digital environment. So yeah, we could we could say that. Bolsonaro had a better online army to fight for for his votes and to fight against facts. Christina, it goes without saying that fake news is not just a Brazilian problem. I mean, we saw voluminous amounts of fake news in the 2016 election here in the United States, in the 2020 election as well. We've seen it in Argentina, in Colombia, I mean, basically everywhere where there is an open society and people take advantage of their ability to post whatever they want. But in my opinion, as somebody who follows the Americas as a whole, as well as in the opinion of some of the technology companies that you know have business everywhere, Brazil is a special case. And we have seen potential legal consequences for the president as well uh, with this congressional investigation into fake news that has been undertaken by the Brazilian Congress as, as well as the Brazilian Supreme Court. Is there something specific to Brazil that makes the country such a hotbed for fake news? I mean, why is this such a strong issue there? 
You know, I, I've thought about this question a lot, Brian, and I think there are some reasons. The first one is a clear desert of information. The media outlet is mainly set in Sao Paulo and Rio, a little bit in Brasilia, a little bit in South, but, you know, there are more than, what, 20 states with no independent and media outlet. So, you know, you, you're not used to get news. You, you're talking about a population that doesn't just quite understand what news looks like. Like, I'm talking real news here, right? They are very used now with, you know, all the social media and all the apps for messengers. They, that's where they get their information from. If I'm not mistaken, 80% of Brazilians say that WhatsApp is their main source of information. But who are the journalists doing WhatsApp again? So not me, not you, right? So it's, it's, it's a very complicated issue there. And then I'd say the third thing is the lack of fact checkers. Okay, so I keep saying we are 210 million Brazilians and we are about 40 fact checkers in the entire country. So even if we fact checked night and day, night and day, there was still a lot of misinformation out there, right, to affect and impact on people. So, yeah, it's a combination of issues. Can you talk to us about the potential consequences that Bolsonaro is facing? Both he and his supporters face a range of consequences as a result of all this that actually could have an impact on politics and on the 2022 election. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure, Brian. I think it's a very complicated story there. But the first thing that people need to know is since 2018, when Patricia Campos Mello in Folha, São Paulo, uh, revealed that there was a group of businessmen actually supporting Bolsonaro, probably sending bulk WhatsApp messages through illegal contact lists, then that's when the justice system in Brazil starts to take a look at this issue. So there is an investigation going on in the Superior Electoral Court. Then we also have investigations going on right now. There are some of them that bring even his sons. They are involved in a something that Brazilians decided to call as the hate cabinet. It is supposed to be a group of people inside the Bolsonaro's government pushing falsehoods and hate, even through official profiles. So that is being currently investigated. I should add, just for the sake of fairness, that both Bolsonaro and his family members deny having participated in such a group or even that the cabinet of hate exists. So go ahead. Yeah. And then there's there is the investigation that is currently going on and probably ending soon in the Congress, which started as a investigation regarding how the federal government did not act properly during the COVID-19 and ended up being also about misinformation. So we will probably see the Congress pushing for a legal action against the president for his decisions. So all of this helps explain why this issue of fake news has become so polarized in Brazil, because on the one hand, the president faces and his allies face some degree of legal and procedural jeopardy. On the other hand, they also believe, they, the, the Bolsonaro and his supporters, believe that social media is the key 
to his not only his rise and his election victory of 2018, but to his power more generally, because in their view, they have the entire country, the the media establishment, the establishment uh, there in Brasilia against them. So in their view, if they are deprived or have limitations put on what they can share on Twitter, on Facebook, on Telegram, etc., it really weakens their possibilities for re-election next year. So I do not like the idea of, you know, easy solutions for hard problems. And I think we are right at that moment. Uh, There are lots of congressmen desperate to try to solve misinformation as it was just, you know, one quick thing with a pen and the the problem would would be gone. And that's not going to happen. So I'm neither happy with having Bolsonaro spreading falsehoods nor happy with the solutions that we're seeing now, taking down a president on social media isn't the perfect solution in my idea. Talk to me about some of these proposals that are in front of the Brazilian Congress right now that you just mentioned. Oh my God, that's such a mess. (laughs) Wow, Brian, we have now, well, it's been more than a year that um, people who are really deeply involved with um, this battle is working around the um, PL two six three zero. It's a it's a bill that is being has been already approved by the Senate, and it's uh, being analyzed now by the, the Chamber of Deputies. And um, well, it suggests a lot of things, and um, some of them are creating a let's say an authority, a national authority to. Um, work around missing disinformation. So it would be like a brand new uh, controlling agency, some, something like that. Uh, it, always, it also suggests a very controversial uh, topic is um, that we could track back even on WhatsApp uh, messages. So we could, f- let's say, try to find who was the first one to post a misinformation on WhatsApp. But that means a lot, right? If you can track uh, the path of a message, maybe you will be just, you know, breaking encryption. And, you know, that's a very uh, troublesome idea. There is the idea, there was the idea even of, you know, regulating fact checkers, Brian. They, you know, as if fact checking wasn't just pure journalism. So there has been so many versions of this uh, project. So now we just heard, heard from the congressional investigation that they are proposing in their final report a law that will probably take pe- people to into jail and and get them built, fined, uh, and which is crazy because you know uh, it. I keep asking this: like, what is mis and disinformation? What are fake news? If you cannot come up with a great definition. How are you going to legislate about something that is not well defined? So it's it's pretty tough. There are so many ideas. Some of them are really crazy. Some of them are really dangerous. And um, let's hope we don't take that direction. So you don't think criminal punishment for people who share fake news is the solution then? Not if the definition of fake news is still open and broadened. I do not trust that there is a possible legislation without having a clear definition, written definition for what that means. And I've been participating, Brian, in many committees and many meetings where fact checkers with platforms and academics, we try to you know, get the pen and write down the definition. And we either achieve something that is really short and leaves a lot of things out, or we have like a super broad 
uh, definition, and then you suddenly kill art or jokes, you know. So if we do not come up with a good, clear definition that can last over the time in years to come, then it's impossible to legislate. Is it just impossible to legislate? Well, that's my personal opinion there. I really don't believe laws will solve the issue. What we see in Asia right now is is clearly the proof that there is no such thing as, you know, regulate misinformation equals to less misinformation. This is not a A equals B situation. There was news last week that a pro-Bolsonaro, he's referred to often as a blogger, this figure, Alan dos Santos, had a uh, arrest and extradition order as well as a request to freeze his assets put out by a member of the Supreme Court in Brazil acting on a case put together by by the federal police. And I mean, this is somebody who's comparable in many ways to Alex Jones here in the United States. In fact, they've met. There's a photo of the two of them together. But, you know, there was a lot of celebration on the left because of this arrest order. But I also, you know, a lot of people, including myself, thought, hmm, this may set a precedent that, to your point, comes back and, and could really be used against people of all kinds in years to come. Yeah, totally. I mean, it is quite dangerous. People keep asking me, okay, you do not want a regulation. You do not want a law. What do you want? How would you solve it? And I keep saying, Brian, that, you know, we should discuss other things before talking about regulation. For example, does Brazil allow people that are in power, either in the executive or in the judiciary or in the legislative, to use their personal profiles on social media to share information that should be public? Can they block people? How do you keep track of that, right? So there are some, so many other decisions that as a citizenship we need to discuss. We need to understand, like, how, do we accept to see social media platforms just copying and pasting their policies from the United States to Brazil? You know, copy, translate, and paste as if the reality in Brazil was the same as the reality in the U.S. So shouldn't we demand a national policy standard? I don't know the answers, but we really need to discuss this before thinking about the law, because there could be a solution that is more diplomatic and more focused on the companies, the desire to be in the country, but be in the country in a good way. So what you're saying, I think, or what I'm hearing is you would put the lion's share of the responsibility of this question with the tech companies. Is that right? I think we always, every time we talk about falsehoods and false news, we forget the main stakeholder here. It's the people, right? People should discuss what what they want uh, from the social media in this country, What should social media look like? We are not discussing this. So, Christina, as as we look ahead into 2022, this is not going to be a calm election in Brazil. It's going to be, you know, a matchup between the incumbent, President Bolsonaro, and his nemesis, Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva, who was president from 2003 to 2010 and is now trying to make a comeback next year. Is there any hope of at least there being less fake news, right? I mean, no fake news is off the table, like forget about it. But is this another one where just misinformation is going to run wild? Or 
are we not putting enough faith in people? Or have enough Brazilians seen kind of the coverage of this congressional investigation and what happened in 2016 that maybe more people will sort of pause this time around and ask themselves whether something is really true or not? So I think I have a optimistic vision there. Hear me. The other day, I really loved when I saw that truck drivers were actually doubting a audio sent by the president, Bolsonaro. That is a massive step. That is a gigantic step that we took if we compare to 2018 and 2016. People know, and I, I have to say that I'm really sad You know, we lost 600,000 people to COVID, but the pandemic had this thing. People understand that fake news kill and they are more conscious about the way they spread. So I was like, whoa, my God, what a moment. Truck drivers now are able to fact check a WhatsApp audio, even, even if it's a real one. And they doubted it. I loved it. It's, it's a good, good, good news there, Brian. For all of President Bolsonaro's attempts to discredit the vaccines against COVID-19, he has said, no, I'm, 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 I haven't taken it. He's never really said he's against it, as I recall, but he's always kind of casting doubt. Well, despite this, the numbers on vaccination in Brazil look great. And polls suggest that more than 90% of the population either has already taken the vaccine or plans to, which is striking when you consider that Bolsonaro retains a support base of anywhere between 20 and 30% of the Brazilian population. So what that means is that even part of the hardcore Bolsonarista base is saying, I support him in a lot of other ways, but they're not buying into his anti-vaccine rhetoric. So maybe that's another data point that suggests that people are questioning what they hear from their leaders and the memes that they see on, on social media and elsewhere. And besides that, Brian, we have to acknowledge the huge change that we've seen from the Superior Electoral Court, TSE. They didn't do much in 2018. And I remember that I would go there and say, please, 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 you have to you know, lead this conversation in Brazil. And back in 2018, they would go, what are you talking about? <laughs> I would just add for our audience that th these are essentially the election regulators in Brazil. It's a group composed of some Supreme Court justices and others who who oversee the election process. And, and they've been very vocal this time around. How would you describe their actions? Where have they been effective? Ryan, we have built a anti-disinformation committee, which brings together all the fact checkers that are professionally uh, working in Brazil at this moment. We All 50 of you? Uh, yeah, all of us. <laughs> uh, we brought all the social media platforms and we are all connected with the regional electoral courts. So we can easily and fastly reach out to, let's say, someone in Manaus and say, hey, we are seeing this falsehood regarding this and that. And then the person in the judiciary court in Manaus would say, no, it's false because this and that it can send us a picture, can send us an audio. And then once we fact checkers do the, the verification, then we go back to the social media platforms and say, hey, hey, please, this is what we've seen. So what what um, the TSE has worked in a very well mode uh, is to build this committee 
we tested it in, in 2020. It worked well and in, in the uh, regional election. And then we're making it bigger for next year's election. And the goal is to have a very interesting plan. And I hope it works, Brian. It's what they call in 10, 20, 60. It, they want to uh, detect a falsehood in 10 minutes, understand how to debunk it in 20 minutes, and actually uh, deliver the the truth or you know, the, the, the verification in the next 60 minutes. So you'd have no more than uh, 90 minutes of uh, fighting a certain disinformation. So it seems a lot more structured. In, and that wasn't here in 2018. And then how would that work? Then the fact check would be put out on social media platforms that, and hopefully people would see them. Is, is that how it works? So uh, they, they created a website under the courts portal and they managed to first get a zero rating to that page. I'm not sure if everybody understands what zero rating is, is when you click and you go to this page, you do not use your data. So it is free and they go to the website and they, they find all the fact checks that were published by different media outlets. And then that's one channel. The other channel is through eTitulo, which is the app used by Brazilians to, to vote. It's like a, our ID. We are planning and we will do pushes on the app. Let's say there is a big, huge, gigantic falsehood about the election. Let's say, oh, you know, we changed the date of the election. Then we would use this huge channel to communicate to say, no, this is false. And then there is also the WhatsApp channel. Of course, we, we needed a WhatsApp channel uh, to communicate from the Superior Court to people who really need to understand more about, you know, the election day, the election process and everything else. Chris, I, I want so badly to be optimistic. <laughs> and I, I will confess, I actually am coming away from this conversation a little more like constructive than I expected to be. But so much of what happens today, so much of we know for a fact that most fake news flies around on these encrypted platforms like like WhatsApp. And we know you mentioned Telegram and this migration to Telegram. The, I follow Bolsonarista folks on, on social media, and they are trying to get everybody to migrate to Telegram because they think that will be a safer space for them. And so I just, I worry that despite these interesting and in many cases, innovative efforts, um, that they're just not going to reach most people. So Brian, let me tell you one thing. I think we should spend time with those that are still in the middle, open to discussion, open to understanding. And less time with those that are extremely located in the right or in the left, because those conversations are like, wow, they're, you know, it's crazy to spend time trying to convert the crazy. But we need to make sure that there are no more crazy people. So let's put an effort on explaining those who are in the middle still and they're eager to understand. I mean, I do not, I, I want to, I'd love to make a, 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 a research, a survey about how many people actually are in Telegram channels and are actually believing what they are reading in Telegram channels in Brazil. I, I, know I am in Telegram. You probably are. My friends are. You know, and we are. We have the same attitude as we have in WhatsApp. So we are bringing the lessons we learned with the bad, terrible 
um, uh, case we had in 2018, we're bringing that with us into Telegram. So yeah, I, I really trust that we, we learned something. That doesn't mean we won't be flooded by falsehoods because we will. <laughs> and then one thing that I'd love to, to share here in the podcast is how important media uh, uh, um, is in fighting mis- and disinformation. And I keep saying this like every time I can, we need to learn uh, how to use the strategic silence, Ryan. And I see sometimes uh, media is actually amplifying uh, something that is false while trying to deny it. But we are not being smart enough as journalists to talk about this information. So I'm more, let's say, worried about how media in Brazil will cover the 2022 presidential election in terms of disinformation than worried about people. You know, I think people learned, but media did not. (laughs) Well, Chris, you know, it's clearer to me now than ever before that what's what happens in this space, in this battle against fake news in Brazil over the next 12 months will be a defining battle on this issue globally. And, you know, maybe in a more constructive way than I had previously thought. So thank you so much for your time and for your work. And uh, I should add, by the way, that you will be part of a panel on November 3rd that will be hosting America's quarterly launch event uh, that will include representatives from Google Brazil, as well as Minister Bajoso, the head of the Supreme Electoral Court and a member of the Supreme Court. So thank you so much, Chris, for joining us today and look forward to talking again very soon. Thank you, Brian, and a big, big, big uh, compliment to Mariana, who wrote the article. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, she, she really did. Mariana Palau, the, the Colombian author of the cover story, you can find that on americasquarterly.org. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the America's Quarterly podcast. You can read more at americasquarterly.org. Finally, if you enjoyed the episode, please give us a review, leave us a rating, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Quarterly Podcast is produced by Brendan O'Boyle and Gabrielle Cohen. America's Quarterly is an independent, not-for-profit publication of America's Society and the Council of the Americas.